and welcome to Restorative Justice on the Rise. My name is Molly Rowan Leach, and it's quite an honor to be with you here again this evening for a wonderful session that I am so looking forward to being here with you participating in. In just one moment, I will be, of course, introducing our wonderful guests. We have two of them tonight, as you know, and I'll be introducing them in just a moment. But first of all, I'd like to thank the Peace Alliance for their co-sponsorship of Restorative Justice on the Rise and to acknowledge uh, a couple people, Dan Kahn, who is the National Field Director of the Peace Alliance and who does an incredible job organizing action teams of wonderful people across the country, um, probably in your area, towards creating grassroots actions and mobilizing together supporting peace building measures including restorative practices and restorative justice. So if you are interested in finding out more about the Peace Alliance and about these action teams, please go to thepeacealliance.org. That's peacealliance, all one word, dot org. I'd also like to thank the NACRJ, that's the National Association for Restorative and Community Justice. That's NACRJ.org. And to acknowledge Executive Director Michael Gilbert for all of his work in mobilizing a movement, I highly encourage your visitation of the NACRJ website. And um, you also can take a look at the Restorative Justice on the Rise website, which strives to provide open source Creative Commons um, audio casts podcasts, as well as a clickable, <laughs> clickable map of people doing the work, hopefully near you, so that if you're not aware of what's happening in your region of the country, or hopefully at some point around the world, we'll have more resources and directories that cover um, beyond North America. Please visit there, though, for, for resources and also to submit your own organization as a listing on that map. In addition, we also feature some of the books that uh, are going to be mentioned tonight at Restorative Justice on the Rise, and an acknowledgement needs to go out to Living Justice Press for all of their work in, pub in publishing uh, extraordinary books regarding restorative justice practices as well as indigenous wisdom and uh, multicultural and inclusive approaches to restoration in our communities, in our schools, and beyond. So again, such a warm welcome to you all tonight. Um, it's a pleasure to be here with you. A few notes to those of you who may be joining us for the first time. You are warmly welcome to ask live questions tonight. We also have had an extraordinary response of uh, questions submitted for our honored guests tonight, pre-submitted them. Um, thank you so much if you did pre-submit a question. And at any time tonight, uh, at the half an hour mark on, please press 1 on your telephone keypad if you would like to ask a question, if you would like to get involved in the conversation. So without further ado, I, I kind of feel like words um, are not enough really to express my gratitude for our guests tonight, Kate Pranis and Carolyn Boyce-Watson, and of course their biographical accolades, and uh, they, they would, they're so humble that they wouldn't probably want me to go down the list of what they have, have created in service in their lives. But needless to say, um, what they have, have done is forge a path with their dedication to restorative practices. And they've created a very viable opportunity for so many of us to learn what perhaps we already have known, and that is that restorative practices are really a part of each of us in some form or another. So just a few words about Kay. Um, she teaches and writes about peacemaking circles, and she learned about those circles in her work in restorative justice in the mid-90s. Her initial teachers in the circle work were Barry Stewart, a judge in Yukon, Canada, 
and Mark Wedge, as well as Harold Gatsby, a First Nation of the First Nations people of the Yukon. Since that initial exposure to the use of peacemaking circles, Kay has been involved in developing the use of circles in schools, social services, churches, families, municipal planning, and workplaces. She has co-authored so many books um, and written books on her own, including the little book of Circle Processes, which I highly recommend. Um, you can find that at Living Justice Press as well as at Amazon. And of course, Skyhorse Publishing has that available. And I, I can't off the top of my head give you that link, but the little book of Circle Processes as well as the book that we're going to be really looking at tonight, um, or at least speaking around, is called Circle Forward, Building a Restorative School Community. And of course, she co-authored that with Carolyn Boyce Watson, who is a professor of sociology at Suffolk University. And she's the founding director of the Center for Restorative Justice at Suffolk. She has published numerous articles and books on restorative justice juvenile justice, and the criminal justice system. Dr. Boyce Watson has worked with schools, juvenile justice systems, youth-serving organizations, and communities throughout New England. In 2013, she founded the Institute for Restorative Initiatives to focus her work with circles in schools. And so to open the conversation, first of all, tonight, I just want to honor Kay and Carolyn, thank you so much for being with us here tonight for this conversation. I'm so looking forward to it. Welcome. Uh, thank you, Molly. I just want to emphasize that um, that th this is not about us as experts. Uh, we've had the good fortune to be in particular places and have particular kinds of experiences, but that this is that equality is so important to this process. It's just really important to remember mm. that for me, my work is no more important than yours or everyone else who's listening mm -hmm. on, the, on this line. But Beautiful. I also appreciate your gratitude for us being here. I mean, it's very, very sweet of you. And we need to remember that, that we're no more important than anyone else who's here. Thank you. So on that note, yes, yes, absolutely. I think that's one of the ways that we are moving forward together in a much more realistic space um, when we remember that we all have something to offer. And certainly honoring you um, is important too and thanking you for your selfless service to the world. So, um, okay, so let's get into the conversation. And then like I mentioned, if you, if you just are joining us, please press 1 on your telephone keypad at the half hour mark um, and beyond for a live question. And uh, right now we're going to go into a little bit of conversation together about some of the basics regarding Circle Forward. Then we're going to um, field some of these excellent questions that were submitted. So I thought it might be nice though to start out, Carolyn and Kay, um, with any influences, uh, indigenous wisdoms, or other influences that you would like to tell, uh, tell about or share about that have um, guided your path. Go ahead, Kay. Um, oh, my path has been quite highly influenced by indigenous people in North America. Um, I believe the circle practice is a universal practice, but my own people had lost track of that, and uh, indigenous people in North America had kept it alive enough for uh, someone like me to rediscover um, this universal organic human wisdom and and begin to understand not only the practice but the world view that it comes from, and in many ways. It's the worldview uh, that has been even more important than the practice itself because that infuses everything about how you live every day, not just um, when you're in circle. And so uh, I have a deep debt to uh, indigenous people in North America for the, the teachings, um, for their patience with me, <laughs> um, 
and and for the way that they have managed in spite of a culture that tried to destroy their ways that they managed to hold this way of being in relationship to the world um, until now. Mm. Thank you. And I would yeah. um I would echo um what Kay has said by um really saying that uh I came to the uh circle process. Um my first introduction of to the circle process was through restorative justice and um Kay was one of the people who were uh training a group of court um, administrators in sentencing circles along with Harold Gattensby. And I was already very committed to following a path of restorative justice um, as a way forward in the, uh, for the criminal justice system and the juvenile justice system. But it was really that experience of sitting in circle and connecting with the worldview as it was shared by Harold Gattensby in particular, um, that I really saw a potential uh, for healing and it really connected with the, for me personally, but it connected with this sense of potential that I feel that we all possess, that we possess as communities that is so unrealized in the way we live together that I think this this process for me was um, immediately very profound and one that I saw had tremendous ability to resource, to sort of liberate some of the resources that are, 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 in, are, are sitting with us all the time and that we are disconnected from and don't really tap into um, both within ourselves as individuals but also even more importantly collectively. So, you know, I, I think that for me this was um this is a great gift um that's being mm -hmm. kind of uh shared with us as mm -hmm. one that uh because we are all kind of in this together um at this point in the world. Mm. Well, thank you both for the that and I, I just would like to share some wonderful um just I guess uh, statistics, not necessarily statistics, because uh, the the book Circle Forward again, building restorative school community, has really taken off, and I wanted to share that with you tonight. Just that the New York City public school system, the Chicago's um, public school system, Oakland, Boston, L.A., and others have ordered hundreds and hundreds of copies of Circle Forward um, and are responding very deeply to what is within this book. And I would like to just share just a quick little synopsis before we go into the next question about Circle Forward and just share with you that it, a couple things about um, the areas that it covers. Um, and that's learning and establishing a circle practice, establishing and affirming community norms, teaching and learning in circle, building connection and community, promoting social emotional skills, facilitating important but difficult conversations, working together as staff, engaging parents and the wider community, developing students as leaders in peer circles, and using circles for restorative discipline, among many other things. And so, I just need to share with you that you can find Circle Forward at Living Justice Press. That's livingjusticepress.org. And so Kay and Carolyn, can we start out this segment by just sharing a bit about the theoretical foundations? Hey, Carolyn, that's yours. <laughs> well, I think that um, you know, in some ways, even more important than the theoretical foundations, I think that. Um, we really began Circle Forward as we did the previous book that we had done on uh, sharing the circle practice with practitioners so practitioners could really bring this, anybody could bring this into their homes, into their workplace, into their schools and start using, into their 
families and start using this. Uh, we really decided to really look at kind of first of all what are our core assumptions about um, who we are as human beings and how we are in relationship with one another. And um, I'll just say that you know that's in some ways so important to us that uh, we we laid out what these seven core assumptions are about who we are and how we are in relationship to each other. We also really, in terms of kind of the foundation before of of this work, we really talked a lot about the importance of looking at schools as places where we are caring for our children and caring for each other. Um, and that we thought it was important to talk about power, the importance of personal power, um, the, the sense that all human beings have a drive for what we would call healthy power, um, a sense of your own uh, autonomy. And we also talked about belonging, that we also have a tremendous need to belong, to connect with one another. And then we talk about the importance of justice. Justice, we all really have a sense of justice in how we relate to other people. And when people abuse power in their relationships, we feel a sense of injustice. When we feel a sense that our own being is respected, we have a sense of justice. It's that important to us as human beings. We really believe this is innate in us, that we bring this strong uh, need in every relationship. So in schools, this is incredibly important um, for young people, for the children, and also for the adults um, in how we live together if we think of schools as communities. And then finally, we talk about joy. We felt a tremendous need to talk about joy and the, the human spirit is as a joyous spirit and the need to cultivate and nurture our joyous spirit in relationship with one another. So, you know, we we linked in some ways that all of that is 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 equally as important as really linking um, this to some of the important ideas that are important in schools today about the importance of school climate, the importance of connecting children to one another um, in a good way so that uh, there is a good culture among the students, but also a good culture among the adults, and obviously between adults and students. Um, the uh, uh, understanding of social emotional learning, this is something that really has um, kind of come to the forefront in the last 20 years of how important emotional intelligence is and the fact that we need to attend to this very intentionally, and circles absolutely do that every time you're in circle. Um, all of these are really important ideas within, theoretical ideas within education that really will support the kind of academic outcomes that people are interested in. But we really remind, want to remind all of us that schools are not just about what academics, they're not, we are, they're not just about what we're able to do as, with our minds, they are also about us as whole human beings and about us as communities. And this is about, um, being well together as a, a in community, and mm. it's that foundation that helps raise our children well, and and continues to care for ourselves well, and we sort of lost that vision of schools as a place of what Nell Nodding says is stability, continuity, and care, which is really um, we think really important. So, mm. thank you, and. Uh, that might lead into sharing perhaps a little bit more about what does what is unique about a restorative school community and is the circle of inclusivity and the people involved wider than what we've seen in the past what what does it what does a restorative school community mean as far as who is involved and why it's important that they're involved one aspect of a restorative school community that I think is really important is um, a reordering of power so that uh, all voices are heard and uh, and that's at every level that the children are heard more but also staff is heard more by upper levels of, of staff hierarchy um, 
So we see a restorative school community as one in which all voices will be heard and all interests and needs will be taken into consideration as you're making decisions about how you operate as a community. So it is a significant, uh, to do this in a deep way is a significant reordering of, of power um, in the school community, and that impacts everyone. That impacts the parents, it impacts the surrounding um, neighborhood that the, the school lives in, uh, and it impacts everyone within the, the school building. Um, so it's a very comprehensive vision about uh, what a restorative school community would look like, uh, and that that in order to have that sort of uh, participation and voice, you have to have safety, safety in the relationships in the school, uh, a capacity to actually use your voice when there's an opportunity. And um, so it, it begins to impact um, paying attention to all of the relationships within the school and are those relationships in which people are safe to to be who they really are and to to speak from the truth of of their reality. Mm. And and I'll just add and of course schools are nested within larger communities. Uh so those boundaries really are um you know, are permeable. So part of um a restorative school community are also those surrounding communities through the parents and through the various kinds of networks and really um, understanding that uh, we sort of need different ways of calling on the gifts that we have um, in order to, uh, to, to care for ourselves and each other. So it's really sort of shifting that sense of the school as kind of just isolated or, or walled off from the community because by having a way to really bring everyone in where people's voices again are heard and people are seen and their gifts have um, can be uh, offered and shared, uh, I think it really um, reaches out into the community and so the community building doesn't just end at the walls of the school in that vision. Mm. Mm -hmm. Another important element of that vision is this uh, absolute commitment to making a place where everyone belongs. Mm -hmm. um, and that is, um, I think that, that that's a new dimension. I mean, we've had schools in the past where most people belong, but there was always some group that didn't really belong or didn't feel like they belonged and and this vision of schools is a really driven by a commitment to uh create a place where everyone would belong. Mm. Thank you so much both of you. Um we're about to go into live question period here and just a reminder all you need to do is press 1 on your telephone keypad if you would like to participate in this conversation. And um, I'll go ahead and, and open up the lines here for uh, a live question and then maybe dip into some of these excellent pre-submitted questions as well throughout the next half an hour. Um, if you're just joining us, of course, we're talking with Kay Pranis and Carolyn Boyce Watson, authors of Circle Forward, Building a Restorative School Community. This will become a Creative Commons podcast, as well as snippets and segments of tonight's conversation, um, topical-oriented. Um, we'll be going out on the airwaves to help share this information out. It wants to have legs and live out in your communities, if you so wish. So I'll just open up the lines and welcome Adriana. Um, looks like yes. you might have a question. Welcome. You're live. Yes, thank you. I want to know um, how you involve the children because we all know that it's important that people who are willing to participate in circles, they are going, you know, to be open and, and well, the soon you are getting there, you know, you, you, you can 
invite them to, to talk and, and the circle process is excellent to do that. Because how you involve the children in, at the schools? Because they, you know, probably they will feel different than the uh, grown-ups. So I don't know how to approach children in that situation. What is your experience? Um, so I, I'll start with by saying that um, in many many schools, the, first of all, the children um, the children are usually the ones who who feel very comfortable in the circle and really like the circle a great deal. Um, and then very quickly, um, children can be involved in planning the circles. There's no reason why children can't. Um, lead circles. This is now getting to be a little bit older, but um, children are, in my experience, uh, very um, comfortable in the circle and really understand quickly its rituals um, and feel very uh, at home in the circle. Thank you. Yeah, we can generally find that they respond more quickly than the adults in schools in terms of um, finding the space one uh, in which they uh, that they want to be in the space that they they feel freer to express who they are. Um, so you begin with just a very simple uh, sitting in a circle with no furniture and no backpacks and and passing a talking piece and you know sharing your name and um, maybe something particular that you saw on the way to school that day um, and then when they get the hang of passing a talking piece and only speaking when they have it. Um, you expand more and more into other kinds of uh, questions. But uh, we generally find that young people want to be heard, and once they can feel that the listening in the circle has a different quality, that the listening is deeper, um, then they're often eager to be in the circle so that they will really be heard. You know, and, and I just want to emphasize too, it's not only that they want to be heard, they want to listen to other people. They want to hear mm. when, when other people are talking about things that matter and really um, sharing in a, in a deeper way. And they really uh, want to listen. Um, I also think that very quickly what happens is we really try to, many schools ask us to come in just to think about the circle as conflict resolution. And we really think about the circle primarily to bring it in as building positive, good relationships. But very quickly, children will recognize that when there is conflict or when there is some issue that's, that they feel a lot of energy around and they want to talk about, they will immediately say, we should have a circle about this. We should go into circles so we can talk about this because they feel that it is a really safe place, but also a really constructive place to talk about um, what it is they want to talk about. And just thank you again, Adriana, for that question. Um, I have a pre-submitted question that seems very like a very um, pertinent one, and that's from Molly. Thank you, Molly, for this question. Um, she was inviting any suggestions on integrating restorative practices into school systems, particularly when the system is stressed and resistant to another new thing. <laughs> that is a very familiar <laughs> story. Uh-huh. Um, well, you know, the, the great thing about circles is that they are really a lovely place to reduce stress. They're a lovely way to reduce stress. And we try to uh, really open up a space. Sometimes it's important for the adults to have a space where they can sit in circle together as a staff and um, not just get to know one another better, but to share about what is causing them stress. You know, uh, uh, research has shown, neuroscience has shown that simply by naming our emotions when we're having stressful, difficult emotions, 
um, something is bothering us, something is worrying us, simply naming it, being able to speak about it actually uh, relieves some of that stress and allows you to focus and be more present by just naming it. And this is, again, part of the social-emotional piece that's important for um, all of us. So a very routine thing to do for circles is just every, some teachers do it on Monday mornings and Friday, some do it every day, but to just have a check-in circle. You know, what was the high and low of your day? What was the high and low of your weekend? Um, just a quick check-in round where people are just checking in on how they are emotionally, and that in and of itself actually really allows everyone to be more present to it doesn't you don't have to fix anything or address anything it just allows you to be more present um, for what you're trying to do because you know life is we're all carrying burdens the children are too and I think it's a it's a tremendous stress reliever actually when it's used um, on a regular basis uh, I want to uh, speak too to what what Carolyn started with is that um, I recommend, if you can, um, moving into a, a particular school or district, that you begin um, with healing circles for staff, uh, with no reference at all to using this with students. Uh, educators are under so much pressure and have had so much negative stuff heaped on them that they need a space. And one of the most important things about using a circle in this way with staff is to ask them why they chose to be an educator and give them a chance to talk about a proud moment in their career. Because the daily grind has disconnected so many people from original vision. And their original vision is a source of tremendous energy and hope. Uh, but that's been just ground away by the the daily reality. And take, having a space for people to reconnect with original vision is a very healing thing. And then you also give them a chance to talk about what's hard and then to talk about how do they support each other in, in original vision. And that starting with staff, and, and the biggest lesson uh, around this is from um, Rita Alfred, who pioneered the work in Oakland schools and spent a year working with staff and not doing any circles with uh, students, and they saw uh, a reduction in referrals to the uh, around behavior. Um, that that the best way to go in is using the circle for staff themselves to experience a space of respect and deep listening and possibly a chance to heal from, of, from some of the, the hurts that happen in their daily work. Mm. I, I know this may tie into a question that was pre-submitted by Isaac. And Isaac, it looks like you may be live with us tonight, so I'm going to go ahead and open up your mic um, if you'd like to ask that question that, that we've done with what they've been sharing about. You're live. Isaac, welcome. <laughs> Hello, thank you so much. It's a real honor to, to be here with both of you. Um, I currently live in Haines, Alaska, um, and I've been doing a lot of work in Sitka. Um, and we have been uh, engaged, we've had the privilege of working with both Rita, um, Renjitham Alfred, as well as uh, Carrie Berkowitz, um, sort of out of Oakland, San Francisco. And in our school district, we have um, a number of different schools, including an alternative high school that's kind of the vanguard of implementing restorative practices in the district. And we have some phenomenal allies um, in district leadership. And the, the thing I'm really curious about, I don't know if this is the pre-submitted question or not, is do, you, do either of you have any models or um, stories or suggestions of communities that have really integrated community-based restorative practice circles, um, especially in terms of um, diversion programs, right? A, an alternative to the traditional juvenile justice process, or rather the current juvenile justice process, um, and that have integrated that community-based circle process with schools who are integrating circle processes. Because that's what we're trying to do, and, and we're very much working with Circle Forward. Um, 
trying to figure out how to connect those two pieces, the in-school piece and the community-based piece in terms of young people. Mm. Uh, one of the places where there's always been a high level of overlap is the, the work in Chicago. That, and, it's, and, and it's true in Oakland, too, um, I think, um, that there's, but in Chicago, I know for sure, because I, I have spent more time there, that there's a tremendous amount of overlap. The same people, same community-based folks uh, have been working in schools and with the, the juvenile justice system in particular. Uh, and so though the efforts have always been woven together in, in my experience uh, in Chicago. Um, I'm thinking about there are a couple of places in Minnesota where they have very strong community-based, circle-based um, juvenile diversion programs and some connection to school, and they're more rural, which may be more relevant to Haines. And mm -hmm. I've been in Haines. It's just beautiful. <laughs> uh, um, the, and that's in, in western Minnesota, Yellow Medicine County in western Minnesota. Um, and you could, I'm sure you could get online and find those folks. And then in Carleton County in Minnesota, that's outside of Duluth but not including Duluth. So both of those are rural counties where there's very strong, uh, that program in Yellow Medicine County has been going for 12 years as a, a juvenile diversion program based in Circle. And they also have, I think, some relationship with school. I th they haven't been as successful in schools as they've been in the, on the juvenile justice side. Uh, and then in Carleton County, the program is newer, uh, but they, I think they are uh, now feeling some pretty strong relationships with uh, the school as well. So both of those might be worth uh, looking at. That's great. Thank you. Yeah, I I would just say you know, and again, I I think we are we are aspiring to that vision here. I don't think we've um, that I know of here in in the Boston area. We've been sort of trying to emulate the hub idea that that exists in Chicago here by cultivating sort of a strong group of uh, community volunteers with Circle who can span both work with the schools and work with juvenile diversion being very, very local, um, which, you know, and, and sort of neighborhood-based. But um, we're, you know, that's an aspiration for us. So it's wonderful to hear that you're moving in that direction. And thank you again, Isaac. I'll go ahead and open up the mic here. Judy, welcome. You're live. Thank you. I wanted to respond to and continue the conversation that Isaac has brought up. We here at the Virginia Center for Restorative Justice have recently established a relationship with the juvenile courts in using the circle process as a diversion. Um, it seemed unnatural to us to next move into the school system through what we call here in Virginia the, the school resource officer. And that is actually the police officer who is inside the school who when there is a conflict, calls the local police to come in and arrest the juvenile. So our goal at this point is to do training with the administration and the, the school resource officers and connect them to the program that we already have in place with the juvenile court. Um, you know, I would say that I think, again, I think that working with, you know, in continuing to make these connections is uh, really um, incredibly positive. I would say that one of the approaches that is so strong 
uh, in our work with schools using a circle-based approach is really to um, make sure, and you may or may not be doing this in Virginia, but to also work with the school in terms of using the circle process every day and using it in positive ways, so using it as a form of building positive relationships, as well as using it to kind of repair relationships when there's been some kind of disruption or violation or conflict. So, um, and I think that the potential for putting both of those together is, uh, is, is that's, that's the kind of real power because um, taking that young person who has had some kind of disruption at school, um, having a more positive relationship, of course, a, rep a restorative process will build a positive relationship, but at the same time continuing to have processes that are going on in the school that are um, building strong relationships in the first place are, you know, is, is a really strong foundation that, uh, that sort of enhances that, um, you know, the, the, the support, the network of support and accountability that will be ongoing in the school for that young person even after that, let's say the incident is resolved. So um, I would just encourage that, but so much the way we think about this is we try to build that foundation in a school so that when they're handling conflict, um, they've also got all of this uh, connectedness and routine ways of continuing to pull people into forms of connectedness on a routine basis that's also happening in the school. Uh, mm. Hi, Judy. Um, you know, and I would uh, agree that uh, the school resource officers I know in a number of places, I've had them in circle trainings in a number of places, and some of them are real naturals for this kind of work, and so it's a good bridge between the juvenile justice system and then what Carolyn described um, in creating that foundation. So uh, it's a really good group to be working with, I think. Thank you again, Judy. And let's go over to Ronaldo. Ronaldo, welcome. Hello. Greetings from South Bend. Uh, we have been working on uh, getting restorative justice uh, practiced in our community, and in particular, we are trying to get into the schools. But what crosses my mind is that uh, really this conversation cannot be complete without being but in the context of um, the uh, various school shootings that have gone on, all the way from uh, Newtown uh, right up into the uh, uh, university level. Um, and uh, it seems to me that one of the selling points for restorative justice is that uh, it is a way of making the school safer. You know, much has been made in the conversation so far of um, you know how how, it, uh, how restorative uh, circles do create an atmosphere of safety for those who participate. But I think that restorative justice, if it is done right, um, that feeling of safety is not confined to the circle experience, but actually it can affect that whole school culture, and eventually it can spread out into the rest of the community where these children live the rest of their lives. Well, you know, I would say that I couldn't agree more with what you just said. Um, and I'll, I just want to bring up, you know, in the wake of Columbine and the, the sort of, um, and Columbine is oftentimes um, sort of credited that experience with the response of zero tolerance in schools. Um, but in, in a lot of ways, the, many of the reflective reports that came out post-Columbine about how could we have prevented that from happening was really uh, to say that the only thing that really could have prevented it would have been stronger, more trusting relationships in that building between 
among students, but also particularly between uh, young people and adults. Um, that in some ways they couldn't have, you, you can't use technology, you can't use all these other systems to, to build safety. That in fact, if you build a climate of trust, um, when somebody is go veering in a dangerous direction, oftentimes young, there are people who know about it and they don't have that connection with adults to share their concerns. And I think, so that kind of just underscores, I think, the idea that in so many ways these practices generate really concrete outcomes in terms of prevention of all kinds of things because people are in, are developing these trusting relationships where they'll share information when it's important because they have come to have a, a, a better connection with with one another. Um, so and so I just wanted to I, I really appreciate uh, your your bringing in the the need to really rethink what it means to create safety. Um, and if you go back and look at all the original reports written about Columbine by the Secret Service and a whole lot of things that happened right after that, main thing they emphasized was building better relationships between um, people in that building and in the schools. Uh, and I agree completely, and I, I just want to add an idea that I've learned from Brenda Morrison at, at Simon Fraser University. She, she talks about ontological security. We've been focused on sort of like a physical security, and so we get down the, the road of, of the technology that Carolyn mentioned, but ontological security is knowing who we are and where we belong in all the restorative processes in circle, especially if you use circle broadly in creating the culture of a school, it, uh, really helps people know who they are and where they belong because the practice is constantly helping us to be more self-aware, um, to be to slow down and notice who we are and how we are in relationship with others. And then uh, in circle, fundamentally, everybody belongs. So this, I think this is a really interesting idea for us to begin to work with, this idea of ontological security, which is mm -hmm. knowing who we are and where we belong. And when we're secure in that, our need to hurt others is dramatically reduced, or our need to do something violent in order to be noticed and heard um, evaporates. Mm. Thank you so much, Reynaldo. And um, I'd just like to pass the talking mic over to Mary. Mary, you had pre-submitted a really important question, at least it feels so to me um, personally. And uh, if I might be able to read that or if you would like to just share it, um, I have your mic open now. Mary, welcome. Thank you so much. It's um, it's really exciting to be part of this phone call. I'm amazed to be included in the conversation right now too. And I don't mind you reading my question at all. I want to say um, greetings from Seattle and King County, where we are um, on the early in the early stages, I would say. But there's a lot of momentum building here. It's a very crucial time, both in the school system throughout the county, um, not just Seattle and in the juvenile justice system and in the communities who are just beginning to become aware of circle practices. And that's where my question comes, comes out of. So thank you for reading it. You bet. And what your question says is, um, in Seattle and King County, you're very aware of the importance of culture in restorative practices and the importance of inclusion for people of all ethnicities and racial experience. What can you say, and of course as two white women on this path, as you are and as I am as well, about the role of multiculturalism, multi-ethnicity in building this movement? Uh, Kay, would you like to start on this one? I mean, okay. I think, you know, I, I, or I could, I could start happily. I'll just say two quick things. One is mm -hmm. that, um, you know, in, in so many ways, uh, this, is, um, this is a practice that is largely coming from non-white uh, uh, societies, and at least in my experience, was shared with us by, by indigenous people who were giving this as a, sharing this as a gift. 
and 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 giving us a practice to to encourage us to make use of it. Um, and so I think that uh, again, I think that the the you know my sense is is my I have an obligation to honor where the gift came from and then to pass it along for people to make it comfortable in their own home, which means um, adapt it for your for the sensibility of your of your own uh, culture and your ways of being in relationship with one another, um, honoring its deep uh, roots and honoring its 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 intentions, but uh, a gift that um, a gift that's given with such love is one that you should be free to make your own and to make useful in your own home. And I think that that's um, so. That's kind of one of the ways that I think about the circle process because I do think it really does, um, in some ways, uh, in my experience, people who are most uh, excluded and marginalized are are the ones who are most adamant and drawn to the circle in as a process. Yeah, in when I worked for the Department of Corrections and uh and I worked across Minnesota in promoting restorative practices and the philosophy of restorative justice. Um so we learned to conference when victim offender mediation was already in place, we learned conferencing and then we learned circle. My experience was that the communities of color responded to the circle process more than the other processes. That that for them that was the process that that they typically because you know all of those options were available when we developed local projects, and the communities of color uh, typically um, were really interested in implementing the the circle process. And uh, and I think that's because it is so fundamental in uh, giving voice to everyone and saying that in the circle we are equal. We have equal power. We have equal human dignity. No one is more important than anyone else. And because that's not the experience of people of color in pretty much any other context, um, then the, the, the circle has been a space that, that feels really good um, for many people. So the way that, and then the, the flexibility of the process, so there's a, a core structure, but around that core structure, uh, the process belongs to the participants. So the participants choose what to have in their center and what to use as a talking piece and how they'll do opening and closing and what it is that's most important for them to talk about. So because that, in those ways, the process is belonging to the participant, it organically is responsive to the cultural context. Um, and it it is, uh, I mean, the, the world we live in is multicultural, and the cultural context matters, and it's important for uh, people to always feel that their cultural context is honored in whatever the process is. And that happens pretty organically in the circle um, because the, the participants own it and, and they get to, to be a part of deciding key aspects, especially if, if any place where you're talking about ongoing process so that once people get familiar with the process, then then they can exercise um, leadership. All all participants can exercise leadership in the process. Um, it is all. The other thing I want to say about this is that I believe that this is the space in which we can talk honestly about race. It's not about shaming and blaming, but it's about deep and honest truth about the reality, and that that. In that space, we can begin to have really honest conversations about where we are and how we move forward together uh, in a good way. Um, so I, I think this process is essential for us to to do racial healing. Mm. Okay, and Carolyn, just a, a very brief time check for you. We have such a influx of questions tonight. I'm wondering if it would be too much trouble for a few extra minutes of your time this evening. 
um, so that we can ask a few more live questions, maybe maybe five minutes after the hour, if that's okay with the two of you. Fine with me. Up, uh, sure. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you. I'll go ahead and open up the mic for Utrice. Welcome. You're live, Utrice. I hope I said that right. Beautiful name. Are you there, Utrice? She may not be there. Um, let's go ahead and go on over to Jose. Welcome, Jose. Not here. Welcome, Jose. Do you have a question or a, a comment that you would like to make? Okay. Michael. Michael, welcome. You're yeah. live. Hello. Hi, Michael. Welcome. Hi. Um, so my question was just regarding the issues of power because in my experiences, the difficulties with equalizing that power imbalance, especially as coming into the situation being perceived as the professional and the expert, um, what are some of the ways that you guys have encountered or some of the techniques that you've used in terms of trying to reduce that imbalance and and really challenging some of the systems that might reinforce that power dynamic? That's a great question, really great question. Mm -hmm. So when we started in the justice system and we were doing sentencing circles, um, one of the ways that we did that was that in the circle, the judge was on a first-name basis. Uh, which actually um, the lawyers who were accustomed to going into court nearly choke in trying to address a, a judge by a, the first name <laughs> in the circle. Um, so it's interesting to, that, that those, those structures are so powerful, the conditioning of the structure of a court. But it was symbolically very important. And when the, when the circle, not everybody's necessarily doing this, but I would say that when the circles first went into schools in Minnesota, because we were modeling on what we were doing in the justice system, uh, if a principal was in a circle, he was on a first-name basis. And that was just this powerful symbolism about in this space, nobody's higher than anyone else. So that was one important thing that we did, at least initially. As a facilitator, there are a couple of things that you do uh, to try to, because there will be a tendency to give you a power that you don't necessarily want. So one of the things is that you do not present yourself as a fixer. If, for instance, the guidelines are not working in the circle, you're not an enforcer. It's not your job to fix it. Your job might, it might be your job to call the group's attention to it and then pass the talking piece to ask people, what do we want to do about this? If this isn't working for us as a good space, what do we need to do? So you have to make sure that you stay away from jumping in too quickly um, when something gets a little out of balance, that often you can let the talking piece go and it's someone else in the circle who will rebalance it rather than you. And that will reduce the perception that you have power and that you're the one who's already, always going to fix it. Uh, another technique for keeping more equality is that when you ask a question inviting a potentially vulnerable story or sharing, that you go first as a facilitator, that you are willing to be vulnerable in front of the group. That tends to also level the playing field um, in the process. And making sure that you really honor the way the talking piece works. Um, though as a facilitator you can speak without it if you need to for process reasons, you need to be very reluctant to do that. Uh, mm -hmm. and to really allow that because the talking piece distributes power. When you, in any other kind of facilitation, the person who's facilitating decides who speaks next. You give that power up when you're using a talking piece. The talking piece actually distributes that power around the circle. And so if you can really honor the way, in that, but the talking piece has to go in order for that to, to work that way, to really distribute that power. Um, but if you can really stay with that process, then participants will feel the power. You don't even have to say anything. This, this is organic in the process. Uh, participants will feel that power and and they'll stop 
coding power on the person who facilitates. Uh, you know, so I, I just want to, you know, add to what Kay said, and I agree that there's so much about the circle that really, uh, in and of itself, kind of um, gently quiets down the 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 usual hierarchies that we're we're so accustomed to. Um, but I really also try to, you know, and it's hard to stop people from labeling you. Here comes the expert. Um, you're here to teach us, and so on and so forth. We have to use these horrible words like training and all the rest of that when, in fact, you know, it's really just kind of not what we feel like we're doing. Um, but I really sort of say, you know, um, in our culture, you know, we have a lot of expertise. We have an abundance of expertise. Um, and expertise kind of got us where we are. Uh, what we really have, um, what we're missing is wisdom. And the wisdom, you know, so I, I hope to say I'm bringing some of the wisdom I have as a, you know, as a person, who, as a mother and a, and a human being. And, but I need the wisdom of everyone else in, in, in this circle. Um, and for me, that's that's why I'm talking the pa passing the talking piece too is to learn and to be um, to be in the presence of other people's wisdom um, because I don't know the answer. I don't. I'm not. I don't know the answer. So part of it is having people willing to say, I don't know how you are going to create a school where everyone belongs. I mean, this is a journey for all of us, and we need all of us and the wisdom that we have. And we really and I. You know, I sincerely, deeply believe this, um, and the process itself manifests that reality because when you let go of that talking piece, the wisdom that comes out of that as the past the piece moves around, and these could be five year olds, they could be eight year olds, they could be twelve year olds, they could be you know any age, uh, the wisdom is amazing. It's just extraordinary. And I think, oh my God, how much we are missing all the time with all of our ideas about who, who should be given, you know, who's the expert. So, um, so anyway, so I just wanted to emphasize, you know, reiterate what, what Kay said about, about the power of that talking piece and this process. So Kay and Carolyn, in, um Weaving to the end here, what what do you think um, is one of the the best ways for people who may feel like they're starting from scratch, so to speak? Um, what might you recommend for for an educator or community member of any kind to initiate something in their communities, whether it's in a school or coming from a parent or however you might see that? What's a good first step? I would well, say taking uh, Oh, go ahead, Carolyn. Go ahead. Um, no, you go ahead, Kay. Go ahead. Okay. I was going to say that a good first step is to find a way to sit in a circle yourself and um and experience that process. And that could be as simple as, you know, getting the, the little book of circle process and doing circle to celebrate birthdays in your own family. Um, there is nothing like actually doing it yourself uh, to begin to figure out your own wisdom to bring to trying to bring it into schools um, and then and then gather with others who have similar interests um, but but to actually practice it um, it's a good way to start. And again, I would, you know, um, I would say that that uh, that's really true. I think I I try to tell people, um, you know, don't be afraid. You know, you can't break this process. Um, <laughs> you know, this is not. Uh, you know, this is really just a very human process. And um, you know, uh, I sat down with my family the very first time um, and uh, used this process many many years ago. So I think that, um, but there's many people probably around you who are interested, who have are already doing this. So I think finding the people around you where you can find a circle to sit in, or as I say, just organizing the process and doing a talking circle with one another. That is why we put together these books that really just say, don't 
you know, this is something where you can really do this. Um, we really can do this. It doesn't, this is really in our human capacity to do this. So mm. um, we would say, you know, and we always say circle forward. <laughs> go <laughs> ahead. And for, for those people that um, may have questions that rose through our conversation with you tonight, is there a best way to reach you? Are you open to receiving questions via email or could you share with us, each of you, how people might stay in touch? Uh, um, absolutely. I'll just give my email very quickly. Uh, best way to reach me would be at crj at Suffolk, which is the name of my university, S-U-F-F-O-L-K dot E-D-U. And my email is K-A-Y-P-R-A-N-I-S at msn.com. Wonderful. Well, I just want to thank you both again for spending this hour with us. And I just want to appreciate everyone in this circle, this virtual circle. And I'm hoping that it was uh, an experience that was inspiring and helpful. And please do stay in touch if you're interested in becoming a part of the mailing list that we offer um, for the ongoing dialogue series that we host here, please just surf on over to restorativejusticeontherise.org. Again, you'll find over 140 podcasts there, including both of these wonderful women in our past archives and podcasts. And those are, again, valued in the spirit of Creative Commons and open source. So you can go there, listen online or download to any of your devices in order to listen as you wish. And also a warm invitation to you as well to post your organization on the clickable map at restorativejusticeontherise.org and also to check out nacrj.org as well as the Peace Alliance Action Teams at peacealliance.org. Quick note that there is an upcoming conference with the Peace Alliance and one of the pillars that will be discussed is humanizing justice systems. That's going to be just around the corner in Washington, D.C., October 16th through 20th. That's Be the Movement, 